The great preacher Charles Haddon Spurgeon once said that anyone who dares to preach from Psalm 51 will blush with embarrassment at his failure after having done so. In other words, there's no way for us to truly expound all of the wonderful, glorious truths that are in this chapter of God's Word. Now, that being said, it is in the Word of God. And so we are going to hear some of what it has to say to us this morning. I invite you to open your Bible with me to the book of Psalms. And we're going to look at Psalm 51. We'll begin in a moment back in verse 1. My senior year of high school, I came home and noticed something strange I had never seen before parked in the driveway. My dad forked over a few hundred bucks and bought an old, run-down, beaten-up 1927 Dodge pickup truck. And let me tell you, it did not need a little bit of work. It needed a whole lot of work. And fortunately, that's what my dad loved to do. He loved to work on old cars. I do well just to check the oil. But my dad began over the next five years of his life this long, slow process of working on that truck. He replaced the engine. He repaired the body. He redid all the upholstery on the inside of that truck. Then he gave it a brand new paint job. When he was finished, man, it was a sight to behold. It was beautiful. He took it to contest. He came back with all sorts of awards. It was completely restored. Well, it's not just old trucks that need restoration. We need restoration as well. We've all been marred by sin. We've all made choices that we wish we could take back, but we can't. We've all done things we wish we could undo, but we can't. We are guilty. We are broken. We need to be restored. Maybe for some of you here today, there is a specific area of your life in which you desperately need restoration. Maybe your marriage needs to be restored. Maybe your finances need to be restored. Maybe it's your body that needs to be restored. Maybe it's not just that one particular thing in your life. Maybe it is your whole being. Maybe your soul needs to be restored. Well, if so, I have some good news for you today. Just like my dad restored that old truck, that's exactly what God can do and will do in our lives today. In our passage this morning, Psalm 51, this is all about how God restored David. Now, to really understand this psalm, there's a little subscript at the beginning, which, yes, does appear in the Hebrew manuscripts. So this is important. It says, to the chief musician 
a psalm of David when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone in to Bathsheba. If you're not familiar with this story, David was the king of Israel when he committed adultery with a woman named Bathsheba and she became pregnant. David did what a lot of people try to do. He tried to cover up his sin rather than confess it. That never works, by the way. He tried to cover up his sin by calling in her husband, who was a soldier, Uriah. He called him home, but Uriah, who was a noble man, refused to actually go home to his wife and enjoy being with her in a way other soldiers would not be able to go home to their wives. And so finally, David ordered that Uriah be sent to the very front lines of battle. He ordered a very foolish military maneuver. He did it on purpose because he knew what would happen. Uriah was killed. He was essentially murdered David then married his widow, whom David had impregnated, and for a while, he thought he had gotten away with it. He may have fooled a lot of people, but he didn't fool God. One year later, God sent Nathan the prophet to go and confront David. I'm not going to recount the entire story, but to make a long story short, Nathan told David a parable, and the point of the parable was simply to trick David into condemning himself, and that's exactly what he did. When David heard this parable, he got so angry about a sin he thought someone else had committed. By the way, isn't it interesting how so many times the sin that we share is the sin that actually angers us the most. But David got so angry about what he thought was someone else's sin, and then Nathan looked at him and spoke those words that changed his life forever. He said, David, you are the man. And just like that, his sin was exposed. We come to Psalm 51. This is the psalm that David wrote in response to all of that. And it really is amazing to me how David would take what was the worst failure of his life, the lowest moment of his life, and turn it into a song for other people to sing. The Lord knows the last thing I want is for any of you to be singing about some of the stuff that I have done. But David takes this and he turns it into a song, he writes about how God restored him so that others can experience that same restoration in their lives as well. So when David wrote this psalm under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he not only wrote it about himself, he wrote it about us. He not only wrote it for himself, he wrote it for us. And we're going to see several steps through which God will take us in order to restore us in this chapter. And the first thing we're going to see, which is so important, if we are going to be restored to who God wants us to be, is an acknowledgement of brokenness. There must be 
always an acknowledgement of brokenness. Look at verse 1. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. If you can read these words without feeling the brokenness with which David wrote them, let me tell you, you are not reading them correctly. How appropriate that David would write this psalm and he would start out by saying, have mercy. That's all he can do. He can just throw himself at the mercy of God. And I want you to notice what David does here. It's very interesting. In the Hebrew, there were three different words that really translate sin. David uses all three of them in verses 1 and 2. First of all, in verse 1, he says, blot out my transgressions. That word transgression means to rebel against authority. In this case, to rebel against God's authority over our lives. Sin really is treason against God. It is treason against heaven. Sin really is us saying to God, you will not rule over me. And that is why we need to understand sin is not a misdemeanor. It is a capital offense. David understands that. And so he uses this word and says, God, blot out my transgressions. But then there's another Hebrew word that he uses. He then says, wash me of my iniquity. That word iniquity means that which is a perversion. In other words, our sin perverts what God has created, that which is beautiful and that which is good. I don't know how many of you saw this the other day. It was in the news three weeks ago, maybe four weeks ago, at the Louvre Museum in Paris, France. Some dork showed up in a wheelchair pretending to be handicapped. He had a cake in his lap. Did you hear about this? When they rolled him up to the Mona Lisa, he stood up and attempted to smear that painting all over the painting with cake. It turns out it was covered with protective glass. All they had to do, fortunately, was just wipe it clean and no damage was done. But when I saw that video of that man smearing the Mona Lisa with cake, I thought to myself, first of all, what an idiot. <laughs> but then I thought to myself, you know what? There is a spiritual sense in which that is exactly what we have done. That's right. Except in our case, it's not a priceless work of art that we have attempted to smear by our sin, we have attempted to smear the character and the glory of God. That's what this word for sin, iniquity, really means. 
Finally, David says, cleanse me from my sin. Now, this word for sin is a word which means to miss the mark. This is the word that was used of an archer who would shoot at a target and miss it completely. The man who was the best man in my wedding was a World War II veteran who could speak Morse Morse code as fluently as you can speak English. And the reason why he could speak Morse code is because when he went to basic training, he would shoot at that target and he missed it every time. And finally they said, Bob Goodman, we're going to teach you Morse code. (laughs) He missed the mark. That's what this word for sin means. It means to miss the mark of God's perfect standard of righteousness. Now, this is how David talks about his sin. He does not call it a mistake. He does not refer to it as a misunderstanding. And notice that David says, my transgressions, my iniquity, my sin. He's not focused on anybody else's sin but his own. And he takes full responsibility for it. He does not do like so many people in the world around us today. He does not say, I'm sorry if my actions offended you. Nor did he say, well, I couldn't help myself or I don't know what happened to me. Notice he did not blame his parents. And he did not blame his environment. He put it all on himself. Verse 3 says, For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Let me remind you, this is what David said about his sin a year after he committed it. For an entire year, there wasn't a time when David was not thinking about what he had done. He could not escape the thought. And listen, this is how a person thinks about sin. This is how they talk about sin when they understand about sin, what David said in verses 1 and 2. When a person has this understanding of their sin, they will say, as David did, that my sin is ever before me. And listen, the fact that our sin is ever before us, that, believe it or not, that is actually a good thing. That means we can remember what a great miracle God performed when he saved us from our sin. And let me tell you, the fact that our sin is always before us, that is a good thing because it keeps us from falling back into it. Could you imagine if we all just forgot that fire is hot? How would that work out for us? Not so well. David said, my sin is always before me. But then look at verse 4. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Now, some people read this and they struggle. They misunderstand. Oh, how could David say to God, against you only have I sinned? What about Bathsheba? Someone will say, well, well, what about Uriah? David says, against you only have I sinned because it was God's law that he had broken. All sin is ultimately against God. 
And that's why David says in the latter part of this verse, you're just when you speak and blameless when you judge. He knows if God declares over him guilty, then God is just to do so. If God were to send him straight to hell, God would be just to do so. Praise the Lord. That's not what God did, but that is what God could have done. And David understands that. And so he doesn't make any effort at all. He doesn't suggest that there's something he could do to make up for it. There's no amount of alms he could give, no amount of prayers he could recite, no good works that he could do. And by the way, let me point out to you what Paul says in the latter part of, or what David said in the latter part of verse 4, Paul quoted in Romans chapter 3 in order to argue for the guilt of the entire world. So in other words, what David says in verse 4 does not just apply to himself, but this is true for all of us. This is how we should all think about our sin. Unlike most people in the world who think of their sin as being no big deal, as if somehow we're doing God a favor when we ask him to forgive us. Well, David's problem and our problem is, is much deeper than that. In fact, our problem is not just what we have done. Look at verse 5. He says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. David understands that his sin is not just something that he did. Listen to me carefully. It flows from a sinful heart. The problem here is a sinful heart that he inherited from the moment of his conception, a sinful heart that we have all inherited as being part of Adam's race. This is so crucial to understand who we are and what we need. David committed adultery because in his heart he was already an adulterer. He committed murder because in his heart he was already a murderer. He lied because in his heart he was already a liar. It's one thing to say, I have sinned. It's another thing altogether to say, no, I am a sinner through and through. These are the words of a man who's completely broken by the knowledge of his sin what his sin is in the presence of a holy God. And there is no such thing as restoration apart from this brokenness. It must take place. It will always take place. And David may not be talking about his personal moment of salvation in Psalm 51, but this is how a born-again person, a truly born-again person, will think about and talk about their sin. They won't treat it casually. And so I have to ask, has there been that moment of brokenness in your life? That moment when you saw your sin, the way David describes his sin in Psalm 51, because apart from brokenness, there is no restoration. 
There must be an acknowledgement of brokenness. But then that leads to another thing we see in this psalm, and that is a plea for transformation. A plea for transformation. Verse 6, Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Notice what God wants from us. What God wants from you and from me is not external conformity. I'm reminded of what Jesus said to the Pharisees. You remember that time he said, you guys are like that cup that has been cleaned on the outside, but you're still dirty on the inside. I mean, who does that? Who washes their dishes and they only clean the outside of the cup? Jesus said, when I look at you guys, you're all clean on the outside, but the inside you're full of greed and wickedness. This isn't what God wants. It's not about looking right. It's about being right. What God desires from us is righteousness that comes from within. But we have a problem. The problem is David just said in the verse before, in sin my mother conceived me. And so what is the solution? We'll skip down to verse 10. We'll come back to verse 7 in a moment. Verse 10 says, Create in me a what? Clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Let me remind you, David wrote these words before Pentecost, not after. He said, don't take your Holy Spirit from me because he'd seen what had happened to King Saul. And he knew that just as God's Spirit was taken from King Saul, that could happen to him. So he says, take not your Holy Spirit from me. Verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Notice in verse 12, David said, did not say, Oh Lord, restore to me my salvation, because it's not his salvation that he lost. He says, God, restore to me the joy of my salvation, because that joy is what he had lost. And yet as David is writing this psalm, he's writing it again, not just for himself, he's writing it for us. And he knows what we need he knows that we need more than simply a pardon. We need more than a get-out-of-jail-free card. We need purity. We need more than a clean slate. We need a clean heart. But unless God gives us a clean heart, what will we do? We'll just keep going back to that same old sin that got us in trouble in the first place. And so he says in verse 10, God, create in me a clean heart. That verb, create, it's, it's interesting. We see that same verb in the very first verse of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The same God who created the universe from nothing by the power of his word is able and willing to create a new heart in you and in me. 
He can take that old sinful heart and place it with a pure heart. He can take that heart that only knows how to hate and replace it with a heart that is full of love. That's what we need. Only God can do that. There's no law that can produce in man a new heart. There's there's nothing government can do to produce in us a new heart. This must come from God. It can't even come from ourselves. Only God can do this. And notice he says, a steadfast spirit within me. What is a steadfast spirit? It is a willingness to do what God desires, a willingness to go wherever God leads. It's when we love what God loves and hate what God hates. It is when we have a heart that is completely yielded to him. But in order for us to be restored, we have to address the heart. We have to address the heart. There's an old saying, maybe you've heard it before, the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. You ever heard that? The heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. That's our real problem. We need a change of heart, a new heart, a clean heart. And that is something that only God can do. And so David pleads with God. He begs God for this new heart for this transformation from within but that leads to the third thing i want you to see in this passage because if that's going to happen if david really is going to have this new clean heart that leads to the means of redemption the means of redemption David knows something is going to have to happen in order for that new clean heart to become a possibility. And I believe that verse 7 is the key verse in Psalm 51. I believe it's the key verse. It may be one of the most misunderstood verses, one of the most neglected verses. But notice what he says in that seventh verse. He says, purge me with what? Hyssop. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. David pleads with God to blot out his sin, to forgive his sin, and to give him this new, clean heart because he understands that God must judge sin. And he understands God will not tolerate sin in his presence. But he also knows that for this to happen, if God is going to answer his prayer, something else must take place. And here it is. He says, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Now hyssop, in case some of you do not know, is a leafy plant like this. This is not real. It is plastic. I know because a member told me so right before the service started. But you get the idea. This hyssop plant played a very important role in the scriptures. And when David prayed this prayer and said, Oh God, would you purge me with hyssop? Every Jewish person who read Psalm 51 and who came to that statement, they would have immediately thought of one thing. They would have immediately thought of the Passover. That final plague 
that God used to deliver the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. Let me tell you why they would have thought of the Passover. That Passover story, you recall, every family was told to sacrifice a lamb. And then they were to take the blood of the lamb. They were to paint it upon the lintel and upon the doorpost of their home. And what were they told to use when they did that? Not just anything. God said, you were to go and take some hyssop. Take that hyssop, nothing else, and use it to dip it in the blood of that lamb that was slain. And with your hyssop, you're going to paint it upon the lintel and the doorposts of your home. And then that night, if the blood of the lamb was not present, the Bible says the firstborn in that family died. But if the blood of the lamb was present, God's judgment passed over them. Well, in David's family, he was son number eight. He had seven older brothers. But when he said, God purged me with hyssop, it was as if David was using his imagination and putting himself in the position of that firstborn son in Egypt. In that moment, he knows that whether he lives or dies depends upon one thing, whether or not a lamb is sacrificed and whether or not its blood is applied to his heart. He knows that the forgiveness that he needs, the transformation that he needs is all wrapped up in this future sacrifice that God had promised. David saw in the Passover a picture of that sacrifice. He looked into the future and he placed his faith in that sacrifice. It was on that basis that David and all of the other Old Testament believers were saved. Now there's one thing David did not know when he spoke these words. He didn't know the name of that lamb whose blood would be shed. 2,000 years ago, he came from heaven to earth, and his name is Jesus. That is why John the Baptist called Jesus the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's why John the Apostle called Jesus the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. And that's why this same John, when he got a glimpse of all of the believers in heaven in Revelation chapter 7, do you remember what the angel said to them? These are those whose robes have been washed and made white in what? The blood of the Lamb. Jesus is that Lamb who was slain and whose blood was shed. And so for us, this is the greatest news in all the world. The news that we can be forgiven. Our sin can be blotted out. We can have a new heart. Not because of a long list of good works that we have done. Not by performing a bunch of religious deeds. But by trusting in the shed blood of the Lamb who died and rose again. Hebrews 3.25 says that we are saved through faith in his blood. David was saved by faith in the blood that would be shed. We are saved by faith in the blood that was already shed. But this is what makes possible the blotting out of sin and the cleansing and the new heart. 
This is the means of our redemption. And this is why we can be restored. Now that leads to one more thing, one final thing I want you to notice in this passage. I want you to notice the evidence of restoration. The evidence of restoration. What will it look like when God restores us? How can we tell when restoration really takes place? David mentioned several things in this psalm. Go back to verse 8. Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Now, David is speaking figuratively here, but I want you to notice something. Who broke David's bones? God did. The bones you have broken may rejoice. Well, why did God break David's bones, so to speak? Well, we know that sometimes... A broken bone will not heal properly. Maybe you had a bone that was broke. I've never broken a bone in my life. I don't even know how it feels. If I want to know, I have to ask my oldest son, Jesse. He can tell me all about it. But um, <laughs> Maybe you had a bone that broke, and it didn't heal the right way. If it doesn't heal the right way, then you, it could lead to any number of problems. It can result in all sorts of pain. So if that happens, a doctor will come along and re-break the bone in order to reset it. A doctor will intentionally break a bone not in order to harm, but in order to heal. And it is in that sense that David says to God that the bones that you have broken may rejoice. God sees what our sin has done to us. And listen to me very carefully. God is willing to break your bones if that is what is needed in order to save you, in order to restore you. But the same God who will break your bones is the God who will cause those broken bones to rejoice. Oh, but this is just the beginning. Look at verse 13. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. One of the evidences of real restoration is that there is a restored witness. Uh, that you boldly share the gospel with others. David sinned, but God will take David's sin and turn it into a testimony so that sinners can be saved. Yes, you sinned. Yes, you blew it. But God will take your greatest failure just like David's and turn it around and use it for his good and for, for, for your good and for God's glory. Look at verse 14. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O oh God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O oh Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praise. It's as if all this time, this entire year that has gone by, David has wanted to be able to open up his mouth and sing, but it's as if his mouth was glued shut by his own sin. And so he says, God deliver me, and this is what will happen. My tongue shall sing of your righteousness. And my mouth suddenly will be opened, and it will declare your praise. You know how you can really tell when someone has been 
restored, you can tell by their singing. And I'm not talking about the quality of their voice. It may be a joyful noise, if you know what I mean. But you can tell when there has been real restoration because that person will have a fervent song. They can't help but, but open their mouth and sing and praise the Lord. And then in verse 16, he says, For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not desire, delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. Now understand, David wasn't putting down the sacrificial system because he goes back and he refers to it positively in verse 19. But notice this. He begins the psalm by describing in vivid detail his brokenness over sin. We get to the end of the psalm, and guess what? That brokenness hasn't disappeared. That brokenness is still there. But now it's a different kind of brokenness. David says the sacrifices God really desires, the sacrifices he's going to offer, are a broken spirit and a contrite heart. You know what that means? That means there is a fresh, new sensitivity towards sin in our lives. We can't be at ease. We can't be at home with our sin the way a lost person would be. I want you to notice something. David's talking about all these things that will result when God restores him, when God restores us. But did you notice what David did not mention? At no point in this psalm did he say that God would just magically cause all of the consequences of his actions to disappear. Because God does not promise that. In fact, for the rest of David's life, he dealt with the consequences of his sin. Just like Nathan the prophet told him, the sword never departed from David's house. God doesn't promise to make the consequences disappear, but God does promise to do something even better. He promises to restore us. And he tells us this is what that restoration is going to look like. Bones that rejoice. A bold witness for Christ. Lips that cannot help but sing. A mouth that praises the Lord. A humble and a contrite heart. All of these things and all of the blessings that come with them. God did this for David. And God will do it for you and for me. He will restore you today. Would you join me as we pray? God, we thank you for this psalm because we do need restoration in our lives. We come into this world that has been broken by sin and we're a part of that. And we need to be restored so that we can be in right relationship with you so that we can know you and love you, so that we can be the men and women of God you created us to be. But as we've seen in your word this morning, there must be that brokenness in our lives, that brokenness over sin, 
So God, I pray that the same kind of brokenness that David describes in Psalm 51, that would be a personal experience for each and every one of us. That we would think about our sin and talk about our sin and act towards our sin the same way David does in Psalm 51. And we thank you that you did something to solve this problem for us. We thank you that you sent Jesus that he is the lamb who was slain, whose blood was shed, and that by his blood being applied to the lintel on the doorpost of our hearts, through faith in his blood, we are saved. I pray if there's anyone here today who has never experienced that, that this would be their day of salvation. This would be that day they come to Christ and say, yes, I admit I am a sinner through and through. But I believe Jesus died for that sin and he rose again and I trust him to save me and cleanse me and blot my sin out. And we know today you will do it. So God, we pray for that man or woman or that young person who needs to come to Christ, who needs to be saved, that this really would be that day that they call upon the Lord and they are saved. Father, I pray that you would do what only you can do that you'd give them a new heart, a clean heart. you take that old heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. You would take out that, that heart full of hatred and replace it with a heart full of love. Do what only you can do, dear God. And Lord, help us that we would experience all these things that David talks about, that our broken bones would rejoice and that we would witness and our lips would sing and our mouth would declare your praises, that all of this would be true of us as well, that we would show this world what restoration really looks like. And we'll give you all the thanks and the praise for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, maybe this morning... Like David, you need to say, God, purge me with hyssop. Take the blood of the lamb that was shed on the cross for me. Take that blood and apply it to my heart because I need to be forgiven. I need to be saved. For some of you, that's exactly the verse you need to take and turn into your personal prayer. And if so, I want to encourage you, don't wait another day. Today's the day of salvation. You came here today lost. You can leave here today saved. God will give you, create in you a new heart, a clean heart, uh, change you, clean you up from the inside out, and he'll give to you the very righteousness that he requires from within. And so if you're here today and you need to take that step or frankly, you just have questions or you want to make an appointment, continue the conversation, you come and talk to me. I will station myself right here at the beginning of the service uh, so that I can receive you and, uh, and talk to you. Uh, if, if you want to, you can fill out the connection card and you can request uh, that we make an appointment. You can drop those off in the offering boxes after the service. Those of you watching online, uh, if you send a text message to that number on the screen, 786-600-2829, you'll get a link, click on the link, and then let us know what decision you're making or what information you would like or how we can help you to know Christ and grow closer to Him. And uh, that would mean so much to us.